0: gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. I speak to you in the name of the one living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. (laughs) This morning, I would like for us to look at our passage from Isaiah. Now, in order to fully appreciate what's going on in this passage, some historical perspective is very helpful. You see, biblical scholars divide the book of Isaiah into three parts. They carefully and imaginatively named these three parts. First Isaiah, second Isaiah, and third Isaiah. First Isaiah is chapters 1 through 39. And it's all about the prophet Isaiah who began his ministry in seven 38 B.C. Now this was a time when the first, time, first prophet Isaiah was, was, was practicing. This was a time when Israel was under the thumb of the Assyrian Empire. They were being ruled by the Assyrians. Our passage comes from 2nd Isaiah, which is chapters 40 to 54, and 55 to the end is 3rd Isaiah. Now, to get to where we are today, you fast forward 200 years. This all takes place in 537 B.C., and this was an incredibly important moment in the history of the Jewish people. You see, 60 years before this time, 60 years before 537, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had invaded, sacked... And, and overturned Jerusalem. And then Nebuchadnezzar, as was his practice any time he conquered a people, he took the best and the brightest of the populace. He took the doctors, the lawyers, the, the healers. He took the, the leaders, the, the, the governmental leaders, the uh, religious leaders, which were intertwined. He took the thinkers. He took all the best, and he took them back to Babylon and imprisoned them there. This was the darkest age in the history of Israel. It's what we often call the Babylonian exile or the Babylonian captivity. But 60 years since Jerusalem fell has passed, and now we have another incredibly important historical event where Babylon overturned, and and took took control of Jerusalem, now the Babylonians in turn have been conquered by King Cyrus of Persia. And in our passage today, the prophet foresees a time when Cyrus will actually release those in captivity, release the Hebrews in Babylon, and let them go back home to Jerusalem. And in fact... That's exactly what happened. A year later, Cyrus issued a proclamation freeing the Hebrews in captivity, basically saying, look, you want to stay in Babylon, you can stay. You want to go home, you may go home. And with that, the Jews, the Hebrews living in Babylon were faced with a, with a decision to make. Do I stay here or do I go to Jerusalem? Jerusalem. Now, we're going to come back to that decision in just a minute, so hold all that in mind, and let's turn to what we read this morning. The opening line of today's reading is, Comfort, O oh comfort my people. Now, I'm guessing that sounds familiar to a number of you. Those of you who were here who were in this space last Sunday afternoon and heard our magnificent performance, thank you, Debbie, and thank you, choir, of the Messiah. Because the opening words of the Messiah are the opening words of Second Isaiah, "Comfort, O oh comfort my people." Now, interestingly, it is not the prophet Isaiah. We actually don't know what this prophet's name was, so we just call him Second Isaiah. We. These are, these are not his words. Instead, he is recounting words that he has heard sung by a heavenly host. A heavenly host who are praising God, praising God for the, for the release of the, of the exiles, the release of those in captivity, and foreseeing the travel back to Jerusalem. And they begin by talking about the, mag- the mighty power of God, the majesty of God, a God who can, who can raise the valleys flatten the mountains and make the path between Babylon and Jerusalem straight. But they don't stop there. Then they talk about this God is a God of such power, and yet at the same time is a God of love, particularly love for the Hebrew people. And so our passage ends with these words that are incredibly tender, words of, divine love, divine love and tenderness. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. So these are words of incredible comfort to those who are in captivity, to those who are in exile. Basically, what the what the heavenly host is singing here is this: that, that you've been through this horrible, horrible experience, this captivity, this exile, the worst that's ever happened to Israel. But, but with God, the worst things are never the last things. These same words in this same sentiment are also solace and comfort and good news for you and me. No, we are not in exile. We're not in captivity. But we all have our own trials and tribulations. We all toil under something or another, don't we? For all of us in this room, frankly, for collectively, for our nation as a whole, right now, we are toiling under the reality that our nation is embroiled to one extent or another in not one, but two wars. But remember, with God, the worst things are never the last things. Some of us here are toiling under the the heartache and the mourning of loss of loved ones or the fracture and loss of close relationships. But remember, with God, the worst things are never the last things. And then all of us individually are toiling under our own unique trials, our own unique stresses and concerns, and they may be unique to each of us, but they are no less burdens on our shoulders. Day by day we struggle with these, but but with God, these worst things are never the last things. So this is comforting. This is good news, right? Of course it is. But. There is a but. You see, while, while the worst things are never the last things, God doesn't snap the holy fingers and make everything okay. Let's go back to our captive Israelites. The worst thing is gone. The captivity is gone. But they have to get from Babylon to Jerusalem. A trek of 600 miles. That's 600 miles on foot. And it's not a trek on a, on a nice paved road with, uh, with rest stops every 50 or 60 miles. It's a trek through wilderness. And remember, our concept of wilderness doesn't quite do justice. It's not a national park where there are rangers floating around willing to help out. It's not a wilderness preserve set aside, but where help is always at reach with a cell phone call. There is no help on this trek. And it's, it's a path that goes over and around huge mountains, down huge valleys, across rivers, through wooded areas, and through desert. It is 600 miles of difficulty, 600 miles of danger. And so this was the decision facing these Hebrews in Babylon. Do I take that path or do I stay here? And remember, remember, it's been 60 years. Virtually, if not everyone who was in Babylon at that time had been born in Babylon, This was the life that was familiar to him. It was a harsh life. It was a life in captivity. It was an unfulfilling life. But at least it was what was familiar. On the other hand, to leave means taking a path through the wilderness and not knowing how it would go. History reveals to us that the vast majority of the Jews in Babylon elected to stay. They elected to stay in those conditions that were harsh, that were unfulfilling, but they elected to stay with what was familiar. A few had the courage to get on that path, to make that 600-mile trek, And they eventually got back to Jerusalem and were able to rebuild that city. But you see, this story, this story means something to you and to me because what it represents is the reality that to get from where we are to a better place always, always requires going through a wilderness of sorts. We all know a few people, a few people who have lives that are full of purpose, lives that are full of joy. And if you, if you talk to these people and you dig not too deep under the surface, you find that these are people who have determined what plan God has put before them, what path God has put before them, and have done what's necessary to align their actions in their lives to be on that path. But for most of us, most of us, we just stick with what's familiar. And we work to just get from day to day. We trundle through life, imagining, hoping for a life that's purposeful, that's full of joy. Often envisioning such a life, a life that is feeding to our soul. But here's the problem. The problem is to get from where we are, from what's familiar, to where we'd like to be. we got to go through that wilderness. We enter the wilderness, if, we, if we're going to make that choice, by first taking the time to discern what it is, and this takes time, discern what it is that God asks us to, be, to do, what path God asks us to take. And then it requires remaining in the wilderness and having the courage to walk that path. Sometimes God's path is an entirely, an entire life-changing event. Sometimes it's a smaller change of path, but always it involves embarking on a path where you don't know the final destination, and it always involves leaving to some extent or another behind what is familiar Now I've been often accused of talking about what I about saying things I don't know anything about. And I get that it's probably true. But I know something about this. Ten years ago, almost to the day, ten years ago, Darla and I were living a life where we had we had been in the practice of law for thirty-three years. Thirty-three years in one city in Birmingham, thirty-three years with our children and friends. And on that particular day, it was a Sunday, I was dressed in a robe just like this, an alb, because I was a lay Eucharistic minister that day. I was walking down the back hall, going from the vestment room to the, to the nave, I was walking with the deacon, a friend of mine, his name is Mark. As we're walking down this hall, Mark stops about halfway, to this day I can tell you exactly where he was. So I stopped and he looks up at me. He said, Randy, have you ever thought about ordained ministry? I think it would suit you. Didn't know it at that moment, but at that moment, the path began to shift. I talked to Darl about it. We prayed about it, and we decided let's. Enter that wilderness. We didn't call it that at the time, but we found that it was. Enter that wilderness of discernment, which involved over a year of working with the bishop and priest and other mentors to discern whether God was in fact calling us to ordained ministry. When it became clear that was the call, we continued on that path to seminary, to Mississippi, Here and you know in seminary, not unexpectedly, we would talk about from time to time. What do you think we'll end up? What do you think we'll be doing? And we a lot of different names, a lot of different places came up. One word that never came up was Dothan. (laughs) It was a long trek, and there were mountains and there were valleys. There was wondering, and there were times when we, well, for most of the time, we didn't know where we'd end up, but we ended up here in Dothan. And now we find that this is the place that we were led, it is a place of great joy for us, it's a place where we feel spiritually nourished, the place that God had in mind for us. And yes, we left behind much. We left behind most of what was familiar. But we got from a place that, quite frankly, wasn't too bad to a place that is much better. God has a path in mind for each and every one of us. And by the way, those paths stack on top of each other, so we're all, God is calling us all to be continuously in this realm of discerning where God is calling us. God has a path for each of us, and the question we need to ask ourselves is, are, willing, are we willing to enter the wilderness to follow that path? I can almost guarantee you it won't be a path to ordination, okay? It's not gonna be that big. I can almost guarantee you that, but it might. But it will be a path to a better place, but, and at the same time, it will be a path with the insight, the end all, not always known, and will mean leaving behind to some extent things that are familiar. But we are called to remember what the vast majority of those Hebrews in Babylon forgot. They forgot those words I quoted a moment ago that the heavenly host is saying that if we follow the path that God puts in front of us, God will be, God will be our shepherd. Now here we are, mid-December, Which means it's the Christmas season, right? That's what everybody says it's the Christmas season. And many people, if not most people, think that Advent and Christmas season are synonymous. They are not. The Christmas season is for the stores, the restaurants, it's for TV, it's for movies, it's for office parties and other gatherings. It's for that world out there. Now, don't get me wrong. It's great. I participate in it, and I love it. But it is not Advent. For us in the church, we are called to live in this tension between having the Christmas season as a part of us and the season of Advent. Advent is a time designed to prepare, to prepare for the arrival of our Lord, to prepare for the nativity of our Lord. And so it is a time of penitence. It is a time of reflection. It is a time of prayer. And I can think of no better time to speak to God and ask God to help discern what is the path for me What is your path for me, God? So, let's spend the next couple of weeks practicing Advent. Praying and listening to God. Amen.